Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Well, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we're actually still plowing ground in our core value series. The reason is because we have, I think we have like tw- uh, somewhere, I don't, help me out, I don't even know my own core values, like anywhere between 11 and 13, somewhere in there. I feel like it's 13. Am I wrong? Somewhere in there. I got Brandy. We're good. You know, so it's going to take us a little while to plow some ground, but are we having fun with it? You know, it's, see, core values, it, it, just to reiterate, because I know that, you know, maybe we've got a new crowd a little bit since we even started this, but core values are, they're not just good principles, principles that we live by. Like a, a good principle is something that you, that you bend when you're given an opportunity. Like, you know, principally speaking, you know, I, I want to do right on my taxes, but, but given an opportunity, I might cheat a little bit. Okay. That's not a core value, by the way, I'm not saying me. Okay. All right, YouTube, got it? Okay, just so we're clear. Just so we're clear. You know, a, a, a principle may be something that you're going to bend, but a core value is something that's deep-seated. It's, it actually becomes a, the, the core of your belief system, the lenses through which you see everything in life. A core value will literally change the way that you view things. You could have a core value of hope, and you could have the most hopeless thing transpire right in front of you where everyone from the outside looking in will look at your situation, and they'll say something like, why do you still still have joy. There is literally nothing going well in your life. And you'll quote Rosie Hodkins. Something good. <laughs> Something good is coming. All right? Because you're, you have a paradigm of hope. You have a core value of hope. And so that you know, despite your circumstances, like the, those are the lenses that you're going to view what would otherwise be hopeless circumstances through. I'm not hopeless because I have a core value of hope because I know that my God's for me, not against me. And I know that if my God be for me, who could stand against me? No one. So nobody can trip it up. Nobody can keep me from my destiny. Like if it ain't, if it ain't good, he's not done yet. And knowing all of that, it results in hope because you've got a core value, something deep-seated at the foundation that changes the way that you view absolutely everything in life. I would encourage some of you to reevaluate what your core values really are. Let me remind you, they're not ones that you're bending. They're ones that remain steadfast, that you have absolute and utter resolve over in the face of something perhaps that wants to challenge it even on a deep level. And a few, weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Pastor Misty introduced the all-sufficiency of the cross. This is one of our core values here. And really, the, the basic premise behind this core value is this question. Did Jesus miss anything? Did he miss anything in his death, burial, and resurrection? Is there something yet to be done? Did the cross somehow fall short in some area? See, that's the question. That's the basic question behind this core value. The truth is, and we, we alluded to it earlier, just only in jest, but, but the truth is, if, if we do know our Bibles, we know that, that Adam and Eve, the first human beings on the earth, that they crashed the planet. Is that right? That they disobeyed God. We call that sin. They, they missed the mark of God's perfection. They disobeyed Him, and literally everything at that point was corrupted. You know, 
the uh, pain and sickness and poverty and death and all those things were introduced actually in the very beginning at the fall of man. How many of you know that even the very nature of our relationship with our wives and our husbands changed at the fall of man? The husband and the wife, they were created together. He co-commissioned them, go, fill the earth, subdue it, right? And then all of a sudden at the fall, something shifted. That relationship was reoriented, and the man was set on top of the female, the woman, the wife. And the woman would now forever vie for the authority that the man had, and the man would forever keep that woman in tow by domineering her. How many of you know that's not God's design? That's the design of the fall. That's the corruption that came at the very, very beginning. You know, all confusion, like we're dealing, in this, we're dealing in this era of time where we have massive gender confusion. You know, people who were biologically born one way, who believe inherently that they have been, uh, uh, well, that they were a mistake and that they need to fix that mistake and change their gender, right? Confusion came as a result of the fall. That's not God's ideal. That's not his plan. That's not his design. All things that you can, like literally the fall of man corrupted absolutely everything. Is there anything that Jesus didn't touch? I just baptized myself. Even the earth itself, think about this. The earth itself says it was subject to futility. It came under the corruption of the original sin. So even the the earth itself would begin to resist yielding good fruit, and we would begin to cultivate the land through thorn and thistle. That's something that didn't exist before sin. So even the earth itself was subject to the same futility, was subject to the sin of man and corrupted. Literally, everything was corrupted. And when you look around, like, do you still see the evidence of all of that? You still see it everywhere, don't you? It's literally like, like it doesn't take you, very, you just, like you're just checking out at the Walmart aisle and the magazines tell you we still live in a fallen world, right? Like, I mean, it's like crazy is, is literally everywhere. If you're on social media, which I actually felt like the Lord told me to get Instagram like a couple years ago. I know it's the weirdest thing, but that means I can just do whatever I want on that. I'm just saying, no, I'm just saying, I was talking about in terms of wasting my time. Let me be clear. I'm teasing. The point is, you all waste your time on Instagram. And if you waste your time on Instagram, you know that, boy, it doesn't take you long to find crazy stuff. You know, I I subscribe to a news channel every day. Four or five things pop up, and you're just like, holy smokes, does it seem like the world's getting darker to you? Like, is it getting more confused and more screwed up? It's like, I know there's nothing new under the sun, but do we live in an era of crazy stuff happening? Like, every day there's another shooting somewhere. Like, what is wrong with you people? Guns have been part of America for 200 years, and now that all of a sudden, like, what is, what, people are just, they've gone insane. So it doesn't take us very long to realize, yeah, we're still in a fallen world. This crazy stuff is absolutely everywhere. So did Jesus do anything about it or not? That's the question. If all of Adam's sin, the stain of that sin still remains, and it blankets the earth, it would seem, then what did Jesus do on the cross? What did he touch? Did he address any of these things at all? And if he did address them, why are they still here? Like, did Jesus just simply address our relationship or what we could call our reconciliation with him such that we'll die someday and we'll go to heaven? Is that what Jesus addressed on the cross? Or did he address all of the elements of the original Adamic sin and reverse them? 
In some days, and this is why the question is there, some days it feels like as you look out and you see all the crazy, it kind of feels like this. Let me give you an analogy. It kind of feels like I was stuck in a house, the house representing the earth, if you will. And, and, and the house begins to burn to the ground and nearly does burn to the ground with me in it before the fire department finally shows up, puts out all of the flames. So the question by analogy is this. Now, obviously the house burned down. Obviously, I was stuck in it. Obviously, I was saved. Right? Are you with me? Like, did the cross just simply save me from the hell fires? Only to leave me in the burned out shell of what was? Like, am I just, am I, by, by analogy of my life in this earth, like, am I sitting in this burned down old house looking around with absolutely no provision to rebuild just going, well, I'm glad I didn't die in the fire, but whew, I can't wait till I do die because heaven sounds a whole lot better than being here. Is that what the cross did? Did he simply reconcile us? Did he, did he simply give us fire insurance? Or does the cross reach beyond that? I'm here to suggest to you the reason it's a core value is because we believe that the cross reaches far beyond that. In fact, I would go so far as to say that that cross reaches beyond what you can ask or think. See, that's the reality. God, like Jesus, when he, when he came, he, 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 the, the truth is like we still have to rebuild the house. How many of you know we, like the house did get burned down? Are you alive? Okay, I'm just making sure. Just, gotta just check your pulse once in a while. The house actually did get burned down, and we really were in it, and we really did get saved from the flames, and we really are standing in the burned-out hole of what was looking around. But here's the deal. We're not left there hopeless. We're left there with absolute provision. We're left there with Jesus having actually taken care of absolutely everything. Jesus is already talking to the contractor. Jesus is already talking to the code inspector. Jesus is already, he's already sent the bulldozer crew to take care of it so that we can clean all the ash and all the dirt and filth out of that place so that we can start with a great foundation. How many of you know Jesus literally paid for everything? We still have to rebuild it though. We still have to rebuild it. But now, now instead of us being like, I don't even know, I'm hopeless, I don't know what to do, I'm in the burned out shell of what was, now we get to partner with God to dream with God about what it'll become. Like how many of you know, it's like, have any of you ever thought about, hmm, Lord Jesus, I don't even know if this is safe to say on the camera or not. <laughs> like have you ever thought, like, I'm okay if my house burns? Like maybe you want to take your pictures and all that. You're like, I'm okay because I'll just build this amazing place. First of all, it's not as straightforward as that. So let me submit that to any of you arsonists out there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, I, but I feel like that's kind of what we get to do. It's like, Okay, so the house burned down, but you know what? Now I get to dream together with God about that master bedroom suite that I have always wanted to build on. Are you with me? You understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, we don't condone arsony. Are we? Because you guys, yeah, I, I feel like I need to spell it out a little extra this morning because you're a little quiet. We don't condone that. We get to dream together with God. And God is the master builder. So he's the architect with the blueprints. So it's not just me going, all right, well, you know, like, thank you for saving me from the hellfire, uh, but now I've got this miserable experience called life, and I'm really just, why, why couldn't you have just raptured us all? 
You know, it's, it's, it's not that at all. It's dreaming together with God. Like, here's the thing. Like, it's dreaming together with God. God who has the blueprint and God who has the provision. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but I'm excited to build with God. This is an opportunity that he extends to us. And, and listen, just because everything in the world didn't just miraculously snap back to perfection the moment that Jesus raised from the dead and went to be at the right hand of the Father... Right? It doesn't mean that the cross was too short to save. It doesn't mean that the cross somehow missed something. Listen, the cross didn't miss anything. Jesus and his blood redeemed literally everything. Well, maybe we'll talk about it in Romans. Maybe we'll reach into that. I don't know. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, literally reversed everything that the first Adam screwed up. And now we get this opportunity to rebuild with him, to dream together with him. Listen, we are not stuck. We may have entered into this world as orphans, like as, as fatherless children. Like we may have entered into that. We may have entered into this, this world where we were locked in the dungeon of our original sin. What do sinners do? They sin. Thank you for being alive. That's good. You know, sinners, since we were born into Adam's sin, so here we were, we were born as sinners. There was nothing that we could do about it. We were, we were born as orphans in the sense that we were estranged from our Father in heaven. But how many of you know that we're not, we didn't stay there? How many of you know that Jesus actually redeemed you from the curse of the law, that Jesus actually stepped in, having become the curse for you, to release you in his resurrection from the prison of sin? Romans 6 says that you're no longer a slave to that thing anymore. You know, that we have been actually grafted in in relationship with Father God such that our inner spirit cries out, Abba, Daddy, God. We are no longer orphans, though we started the world that way. We're no longer sinners, though we started the world that way. Jesus, through his blood, literally addressed everything. Amen? I should mention this. All right, here we go. I'm just feeling particularly ornery today. This is why women shouldn't play sports. Nice. All right, settle down. Okay. <laughs> How many of you know, in respect to the sufferings of, the, of this life, that God says that we are more than conquerors, that, we are, that in all things we abundantly conquer, we, we are victors? Go back and look at that. The context of that scripture is like in the sufferings of this life. How many of you know there's sufferings in this life? How many of you know some days you look out and you go, I can still smell smoke. You know, I can, like that wall in that bedroom is still charred black and it hasn't been dealt with yet. Right? But Jesus says, he's made you more than a conqueror. He's made you an abundant overcomer. An abundant overcomer. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, here's what it says. says that through his divine power, he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and to godliness through the true knowledge of him who is called by his own glory and excellence, who called us rather by his own glory and excellence. Jesus provided everything that you and I need for life. Everything. Notice that it doesn't say that he provided most things. 
that somehow he fell short in there. It's like, oh, he provided for some of it. And then you're going to get to go to heaven someday and get the rest of the package. There's a sense in which that is ultimately true. You get the rest of the package in heaven, but we're talking about, like, what does this scripture say? He gave you everything that you need for life. How many of you know he's talking about this life in the flesh? He's not talking about my life in the spirit in the by and by. Jesus provided literally everything that I needed. The cross did not fall short. His execu- the execution of perfect love in that space as he redeemed us, that there literally is nothing that escaped that amazing generosity. There's nothing. He's given us everything that we need for life. Some of you might say this. You might say, if God has given us everything that we need for life, then why does it not feel like I'm an abundant conqueror? You know, that I'm an abundant victor. If God has given me everything that I need for life, why is it that I, that I still seem to lack provision and I still seem to lack hope and I still seem to lack joy and I still see... Anybody struggle with these things? <laughs> like, if, if God has given me everything that I need to be a victor in this life then why did these things still exist in my life? And I would point you back to what Pastor Misty said a few weeks ago. Listen to what it says here. I'm going to read it again. 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We'll get to godliness in just a second. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us. See, the benefits of the cross are attained through the true knowledge of, of knowing Him. You have to know him. If if there was some amazing healing salve, you're not going to apply it to your wound if you don't first know that when you do so, it's going to provide healing for you. See, you you have to know. You have to know in advance that this is actually the result that I can expect. Well, how in the world do we, do we, how do we know? How do we know anything? I'd say there's two ways that we know things. And there's two primary ways that I would break this down. So we are to acknowledge God. It's through the, the knowledge of God that we do anything, that we know anything, that we experience any of the benefits of the cross. So I have to come to know him through the study of his word. That's the first thing. I have to begin to, I actually have to sacrifice in my life, listen, not to just read a book. I mean, you know, like at face level, the Bible's just a book. And if you want to treat it like that, you'll get what just a book will give you. Right? But if you understand that they're the words of life as inspired by the Holy Spirit and written through people, if you realize that it's the words of God that have power dripping off of them, that it's multifaceted, layered, that there's so much truth that for 2,000 years we've been reading it, we still haven't discovered the depths of it. When you realize this is a letter that's direct to you, that in partnership with God can actually give you instructions for life and godliness, you won't want to put it down. You won't want to put it down. When you realize that you can actually partner with Holy Spirit, the teacher, to engage with this word and that it will bring transformation to your life, you won't want to put it down. We need to resurrect our hunger for the word of God. Is that right? Amen. 
Let me give you, let me give you some examples of this. We're talking about you don't know what you don't know, right? That's a pretty good statement. Feels like a Missouri statement. Is that right, Bruce? Bruce is always making fun of me for being from Missouri, so the rest of you can beat him up after service if you like. Feels like the right thing to do. <laughs> We're talking about engaging with God through his word, getting to know him, exploring the depths of that word and allowing it to invade and bring transformation to our heart and transformation to our mind. How many of you know it's not just a religious check that you put in a box? That, that what is available in the Word of God is actually an encounter with the God who wrote it, with the author. We okay? All right. We got, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do like what Stephen Furtick does. And I'm going to start, I'm going to get an amen section going. I'm going to hire some people. I'm going to hire some people. I'm going to put them in there just to bring, just to breathe a little something, just to breathe a little something. <laughs> There's an encounter available with the author by just opening up the pages and excavating the truths that are in there. And listen, I know that Henry talked about this the other day in their life group. By the way, life groups are still open and available, our destiny groups. If you'd like to be a part of one, there's still signups available online. You know, in their destiny group, he was talking about, you know, how they were engaging with the word and he was beginning to learn that you don't just have to, you don't just read it, but that you actually wrestle with it. And in your wrestling, if you only get one verse for your whole day's reading, that's okay because it was never a sprint anyways, that it was, that it was, that it was never a religious activity where I can go, well, I'm spiritual now. I read my book, but rather it was an invitation to go to a deep place with God. I want to encourage you. Like, it's okay if you have your uh, read through the Bible in a year program. So I encourage you. That's great. You're getting the word in you. Your spirits, it's like some, there's a transaction that's happening, but you have to begin to engage with God outside of the religious activity and invite him into it. You have to begin to meditate on the Word. Meditation is not a New Age concept. It's a biblical concept if done properly. We just don't empty our minds. We fill it with Jesus. That's the difference. And we, we, we look at the Scriptures and we refuse to get off of it. If it's talking about a man that I don't know, like, who in the world is Ahab? I don't know. Then go find out who Ahab is. Otherwise, you're going to get nothing out of that Scripture. If it uses a vocab word that you don't understand, take a moment, open up your dictionary, look it up, get you a good Greek dictionary, figure out what in the world the author's intent was when they were breathing it. You know, look at the context. Like, I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense. Why would women wear a head covering? Oh, look at the historical context. Maybe somewhere in history you'll find an answer to that question that you have. Rather than just go, well, I don't understand that, but it sounds too restrictive. Next. <laughs> Pastor said something about this. It's good enough for me. Next. Engage with God. Go to a deep place with Him. That's what it's talking about. It's through, the, it's through the knowledge of God. I have to come awake to the reality of His ways. I have to know Him. I have to get the Word on the inside of me such that it's the only thing that I think. In fact, that's basically what Joshua 1.8 says. It's somewhere on here. Wow, all the way at the end. It's all right. We'll get back. It says this. Skip there, bored people. You're awesome. Look at you. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It means that literally you should say nothing other than the word of God. Like how many of us get caught in the trap of our words? We're like, ah, oh, this is stupid. That's fine. I mean, if you want to keep cursing stuff, go for it. But you'll get the result of that. 
Right? Let nothing depart, like, well, that's another scripture, let nothing depart except for what is edifying. But this one says, the book of the law, the book, the Bible shall never depart from your mouth. It means that everything that you say should be consistent with the word of God. It can't be consistent with the word of God unless you're taking time to put it in you. And you can't recognize in this life when somebody else is saying something that is, that is not the word of God. You'll never recognize it unless you get it on the inside of you. How many of you know when the devil came to tempt Jesus... He actually used the Word of God to do it. If Jesus hadn't taken time to meditate and to get that Word on the inside of him, he wouldn't have recognized the little nuance of the trap that the devil was springing upon him. Amen. We've got to get it on the inside of us. We have to get to a place where we know the Word of God, where it's the only thing that comes out of our mouth. And it says, we meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Maybe some of the reason why we don't have success is because we haven't taken the time to get the Word of God on the inside of us and then to apply what we've been reading. Maybe some of the reason why we haven't experienced the depth of the benefits of the cross is because we absolutely have no idea what benefits even came from the cross to start with. When I didn't know that God was a healer, I didn't have anybody healed when I would pray for them. Now that I know that God's a healer, people get healed all the time. And they get healed under our ministry here as we provided a faith covering for this place for other people to step in and to grow into that gift into maturity. And we've seen hundreds of healings in our ministry among you both inside and outside these walls. That started with a six-month study of the Word because I had to know what does the Bible say about healing and is it for today or not. And through the knowledge of the Word and then the application of that in my life and the partnership of faith, I began to see the benefits of the cross unfold and they didn't unfold until I had the knowledge. We have to know Him. That's the first thing. It comes through the knowledge of him who called us. Through the knowledge of him who called us. I'm going to fast forward. It's 1120. Why am I fast forwarding? You guys are good, man. The guest speakers kept you here till like 2 a.m. <laughs> Listen to this. Out of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. See, this is the same as our verse in Peter. In all of our ways, we are actually called to know him. We do that through the discovery of his word, but he's calling us to a second phase, and that's to a phase of intimacy. In all of my ways, I have to acknowledge him. Like, think about that at its simplest level. What does it mean to acknowledge someone? Have you ever been the guy, the awkward one that comes up to a conversation, there's two or three people talking, and like they're shoulder to shoulder, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Okay, maybe it's just me because I'm short. I don't know. You're like, you're just like, all right, I guess this conversation is not for me. Uh, like, you just, like, just, right? You're feeling, yeah, you're feeling my pain on this. I understand. I have no idea where I was going with that, but it was probably something amazing. Holy Spirit will bring it back. Oh, yes, thank you, Jesus and Misty. <laughs> To, to acknowledge someone would be, honestly, to, to make way and go, I see you there, sir. Yeah. 
you know, come and join my circle, come and join my conversation. See, you, you have to, like Moses at the burning of bush, you have to actually turn aside and you have to acknowledge. You know, and oftentimes, as I just did with Kathy, you have to look at somebody right straight in the eyes, right? You're acknowledging that they're there. You're acknowledging that they exist. This says, in all my ways, I'm called to acknowledge God. So what does that mean in light of that? You know, we should get to a place. I mean, the Bible tells us to, to pray continually and all this. That the New Testament church says they were continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about the sense of salvation. <laughs> There's a place that we can get to in our Christian walk where we can be so in tune in our spirit with God that we continually acknowledge him such that like Jesus, when he was walking through the marketplace with people thronging him on all sides, touching him everywhere. If you've ever been overseas in a third world country, it's insanity. People just touching him everywhere. And one woman comes and touches his clothing. And he's so continually acknowledging God. He's so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he recognizes that power, the Bible calls it virtue, that virtue, that power left him, that Father God was now doing something that he needed to turn and lean into. How many of you know, that's not just Jesus, God walking the earth. That is Jesus, the Son of Man, modeling to you and to me what is possible in this earth for a righteous one to walk continually acknowledging God in all of our ways. See, there's a place in God. There's, a, there's an intimate place. And listen, I'm a task or like I'm, a, I'm I don't know if you've ever done like the strength finders or the any kind of strength assessment, but, but I, I come out as an achiever, which basically means my whole life is driven by putting checks in boxes. I'm like, oh, got another task completed. Thank you, Jesus. Misty's taking a nap. I'm cutting down a tree and getting refreshed. I'm like, another check in a box. This is great. Look, I above all people can get lost in the tasks of my life even the ones where I'm serving him. But this says in all my ways that I'm called to acknowledge him. On the one hand, I'm acknowledging him in the sense in which I'm willing to make sacrifices and I'm willing to study his word. I'm willing to go after him. I'm willing to get the word of God in me. But there's another sense where my life is acknowledging him because I'm actually walking in intimacy with him. He's calling me into this place. How many of you know it's not just word, it's word and spirit. Like it's... Yeah, I'll leave it at that. It's word and spirit. Like rhema and logos, the written word and the spoken word of God. It's both. And if, if all we do is, is look, can I just say this? The scriptures are insufficient. That's just, that's just for YouTube, Todd. That's all that is. The, the scriptures are insufficient. Because if all you have are the scriptures and you don't have intimacy, intimacy with Holy Spirit you become a Pharisee. And a Pharisee just has a whole list of do's and don'ts. And the only thing that I've seen in terms of fruit that comes out of that is that people get hurt. Right? Well, we are called to have word and spirit. We're called to have the, 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 the word that was breathed by the Holy Spirit and re relationship with the author who can tell me what his heart intent was for the word that he breathed there. Like the, the, the Bible ad admonishes us, for example, the Bible admonishes us to, to love everyone, even those who hate us. Is that right? Yeah. 
They were called to, to literally love everybody, even the stinkers. Like, even the one that's like, your mama don't even love you. Like, but I, it's like, Jesus called me to, I got to love you, right? Right? And, and it says that, that, that love keeps no record of the offense. Love keeps no record of the wrong. Is that right? So now I'm talking about my enemy, the one who I can't stand, honestly, the one who continues to push my buttons and do all the Well, love says, I can't hold any of that against you. I can keep no record of that. Okay, but I'm also called to love others as I love myself. Well, I can't love myself very well, can I, if I don't have boundaries in place and if I don't understand my own capacities. So if I'm pouring myself out and well beyond my capacity unto the point of death, as we've seen some historical Christians do in times past, if I'm doing that, like I'm going well beyond the boundaries that God set and I'm actually in breach of biblical love. Well, how in the world then do I know like, when it's pearls before swine or when it's, like, it's totally worth the investment that I'm making right now? You know, I just had a homeless person approach me yesterday. You know, actually, we approached her, as it, truth be told. You know, and it, it, it was obvious to me immediately that she, that she was a meth addict. She immediately comes up and she's like, well, you know, I don't smoke and I don't drink. I've just got this medical deal. I'm like, yeah, you got a medical deal, all right. Like, I can, I can see this thing coming. Like, how do you know when I'm supposed to be generous? By the way, the Bible says literally give to everyone who asks of you. All right, so just give, I'm going to just give it all away? Like, just like literally until I'm destitute? Is that what the Bible says? Or like, is there a place for me to go, mm, nope, that's going to enable some drug habits. So probably not into that. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and break addiction off your life. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I have I give unto you. You think that they didn't have silver and gold? They had a whole ministry. <laughs> Remember the guy, Judas, had the treasury money? They traveled all over the world. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> they had money, silver and gold. <laughs> I don't have what I have I given to you. How do you know the difference? How do I know when I'm supposed to give it as the word of God says and when I'm supposed to like, hold throttle back a little bit and actually like lean into wisdom because it's going to enable sinful behavior? How do I know? Well, I can't just have the word. I have to have the word and the Spirit. I have to have the Word where I hold it in tension, and then the Holy Spirit, whom I'm in communion with, who, who tells me how to apply it and when to apply it. Bill Johnson says it like this. I think somewhere in Proverbs it says, you know, do not answer a fool according to his folly. And he says the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. And he's like, well, which is it? <laughs> You're like, uh, there it is in the word. I don't know what to do. What do you do? If you've just got the word, you're, you're, you're cooked. You have, you, have, you have the word and the spirit. See, and this is the second half. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. I have the word. I'm getting it into me. It brings balance and perspective to everything that I do. It brings challenge to the voice of the enemy that wants to make it look biblical, but maybe it's not. You know, and I have the Holy Spirit who invites us out of our comfort zones. How many of you know everything that's out of your comfort zone is not demonic? The Holy Spirit who invites us out of our comfort zone into a place of intimacy where I go, well, okay, this, this is really uncomfortable. Is it biblical? I'm not saying anything that's a breach of your word, God. Do you feel my peace? Yeah, God, I feel your peace. Like, okay, it's the word and the spirit in partnership. You know, something that I'm, I'll admit I'm not very good at, but that I've attempted to step into as a lifestyle practice. Like, you all know that, like, maybe you don't know, 
But for like two years, Misty and I have been seeing numerical sequences on clocks and everywhere. It's stupid. It's, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's just so consistent. It's so consistent that it has to be God. You know, he speaks in weird ways. I don't even know. Right? You know, he's been speaking to us. And I, I've gotten to the point where it's like, I can either be frustrated where it's like, oh, you know, it's like even just, even when I'm preaching, I see it. I mean, I'm like, I can either be frustrated, like, oh, there it is again. I wish you'd speak more clearly. I can't, you know what I mean? I can't, okay, maybe it's just me. Uh, no, but I've chosen instead to take it as a signpost to acknowledge him in all of my ways, to kind of go, oh, I see it again, Lord. I see 11-11 on the clock. I know that you're with me. And I stop everything that I, I'm not the best. I'm just, I'm trying to get into the discipline of it. So I admit, I'm like, I'm working at it. You know, but, but my intent and what I do 50% of the time is to stop what I'm doing, if it's possible, to just acknowledge him. Amen. To go, oh, it's 11-11. Okay, my God is with me. Man, like, and I, and I, just, I just quiet all the tasks, all the voices. I'm like, you're with me. You're God Emmanuel. You were present with me. You haven't left me. Everything, everything that I have to do today pales in comparison to this moment of just turning my heart to you. I acknowledge that you're present. I acknowledge that you're for me. And I acknowledge that you can do far more with my time today than what I can do on my best. Right? I just take a minute. I'm not taking like an hour. You know what I mean? The boss is coming in like, what have you, you been doing, man? Like, I'm praying. My pastor said, no. Like, I just, I'm just I'm taking a minute just to turn aside. Just to go... Where is your presence right now? I want to be sensitive to you. I want to hear your voice. Because at any moment, somebody could bust through the door with chaos with them, and I'm going to need to know what you're saying, what you're doing, where you are. You getting this? Two ways that we acknowledge him. Number one, we acknowledge him by going after his word. By getting it onto the inside of us, it's, by the, it's through the application of the word that we will find success in our life. And it's through the understanding that the word brings that we'll see the, the true benefits of the cross realized in our life. And secondly, by being so close to Holy Spirit that I genuinely acknowledge him in all of my ways. And everything I'm doing, everything that I'm saying, and everything that I'm thinking, I acknowledge him. What would it be like if in all of our relationships we acknowledge the Holy Spirit who is the one who has the ability to rudder our tongue? Sorry, that was a gut punch. What would it be like if we acknowledged God in all of our ways, even in our thoughts that come out of our mouth? No, 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 I'm completely yielded. I'm sensitive to you. I'm, I'm turning my heart to you. I'm not going to let this situation get me fired up and riled up such that I sin in my anger. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to acknowledge you in all of my ways. And you are peace and you are joy and you are kind and you are patient. You are good. And I have access to these things right now. I choose you. How would that transform our planet? How would that transform our political conversations? How would that transform our gospel presentations to the lost? How would that transform the view of the lost of the church? I think it would be beautiful and utterly transformational, don't you? Father, this morning we yield to you as willing vessels and we're asking that you would transform us with your word. 
that you would awaken us to hunger for your word, that you would awaken us to hunger for what's possible in relationship with you and sensitivity to your spirit, to your moving, to your voice, to your ways, to your will being done in our life. Awaken us to the reality of how close you are. We don't want to just sing about how you're closer than a brother or closer than my, the very air that I breathe. We want to experience it. We want to know it. We want it to become a core value that you are with me. You're not against me. That you are accessible. That the heavens aren't brass. The, the, the heavens have been rent and you've come down. The door in heaven was open when John looked. It's not closed. You're not a silent God. You're, you're, you're not hiding things to tease us, as the song says. Help us, Jesus. Invest in us this core value of the reality of what Jesus Christ paid for and what was redeemed through his death, burial, and resurrection. And plant it deep in us. Let us discover it in your word. And let that word be the only thing that comes out of our mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.